we just finished up um, finishing strong. Uh, for those of you, for those of you that have um, that have been here, and if you're just joining us, if you're watching live on YouTube, we welcome all of you that are watching right now. If you're watching or listening to this on the archive, thank you for being with us. So we just finished the book "Finishing Strong" by Steve Farrar. If you want to go back and you want to pick up any of those sessions that you missed, you can do that by going to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. You'll see those archived there. You can go to the podcast channel. They're archived there. You can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on Media, and they're archived there. So, And you can do that. Now, the YouTube channel and the podcast, they won't go all the way back through the last four years. BurgessMinistries.com has most of the ones from the last four years if you want to go, go that far back. But if you just want to get Finishing Strong, all of those are archived on the YouTube channel, podcast, and at BurgessMinistries.com. So what we're going to do for the next three weeks... We're going to have standalone messages every Wednesday, and then we get to Man Church on April the 28th. Scott Dawson will be our speaker. We'll come out of that, and the very next Wednesday after uh, Man Church, we will jump into Jerry Bridges' The Pursuit of Holiness. So that, that's, that's our game plan for what we're going to do going forward. If you'd like to be at Man Church on April 28th, it'll be at Shades Mountain Baptist Church there in the conference center. Anyone is welcome to come. Uh, men only, but um, uh, if you want to bring somebody or you're watching this or listening to this, you say, hey, I may be in Birmingham during that weekend. I'd like to come. Uh, that's when we get a challenge from a speaker, and then it's also a good entry point for getting into some of our Bible studies that we'll offer in the next round. So let's open a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your message. Thank you for, the, for your powerful word, your revelation about yourself. Uh, Lord, I pray that we we, we have in our minds that we want to continue to pursue you, that, that devotion to you produces great fruit in our life. Lord, I know across uh, the country and around the world, there may be people that are watching or, or listening to this that, that have not made that decision uh, to repent of sin and be redeemed by you. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that the message today may, may just pierce something in somebody's heart, that for the first time or the first time they ever meant it, that they give their, give their life to you. For the rest of us that have already made that decision, we've been justified. May today be part of our sanctification, getting to know you even more intimately than maybe we did before today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, go to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 11. Now, since we do have Good Friday and celebration of the resurrection coming up, uh, this Wednesday and next Wednesday, I'm going to focus on the things that are pointing to the redemption that we will celebrate. And it, and it is a, a great day of celebration uh, when God could not change who he was. So that's the thing I, I don't think we understand sometimes. God's holy and he can't help it. There, there, there's, no, there's nothing he can do to change that because that's who he is. I remember, you know, the first time I started as a child, the first time this concept was presented to me, my thought was what? Well, why didn't God just forgive everybody and be done with it? Uh, but what I didn't understand is God can't change his character and his holiness can't do anything other than kill sinful people that come in his presence. He can't help it. You know, he talked about that quite often. You can't just walk into my presence uh, because I can't help it. I'm holy. And if you walk into my presence and you're not you're not holy as well, then I'll kill you. And so what had to happen? He, he, he had to come to us because we couldn't come to him. And that's why he had to have the ultimate lamb take on human flesh, 100% man, 100% God, and then go ahead and pay that brutal cost of sin because then we now enter into his holy presence, what? Covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, right. who makes us righteous. So remember what I've said a lot of times, and I've had many people email me and go, what are you talking about? And I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a code of conduct. I am talking about fruit, and I am talking about Jesus. But don't let anybody ever tell you that you don't have to be perfect to come to the presence of God. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so we're made perfect in Jesus. So what we're going to talk about today in, in John chapter 11, Jesus is preparing everybody for what he is about to do. But, of course, what does he have to do? And there's a lot of questions that get answered uh, in this one documentation. of, And this is how we should talk about things in the Bible. Okay, listen to me. Today we're going to talk about a historical event. I don't even like calling it a story. It's not a story. It, it's a historical event, and we gather this information from those that were there and saw these things happen, and then they've documented. You, you wouldn't call somebody saying today uh, in our history book, we're going to turn to the to the revolution. 
when we declared our independence and called that a story, would you? You'd call that a historical document, documentation of what happened. So that's what this is. This happened. So Jesus is, 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 of course, going at various times, and he's revealing that he is Messiah. And if you go through the number of times they call them these messianic moments, the one we're going to talk about today was his seventh one. And we know how God is about the number seven. Seven is a perfect number to God. That's a, that's a number of completion. Because what Jesus is going to do this time, in this historical documentation, he's going to demand that everybody on this day believe the unbelievable. Today you're going to believe the unbelievable. And, and there's some important questions that are, that are in this documentation that should challenge all of us today. So let's set up what's going on first in chapter 11 the Gospel of John. Lord, bless the reading of your word today. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So, first of all, John's saying, let me tell you who we're talking about. We're talking about Martha and Mary, who we heard before. Remember, Martha was busy, 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 and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and all the lessons that come with that. Well, the, that's these same two sisters and it's Lazarus, and you're going to find out that the Bible tells us these were people that were very close friends of Jesus. They, they, were, they, were, they were not acquaintances. He had many acquaintances, and he had, but he also had, like all of us, what? Very close friends. So these were close friends of his, and we'll find out that that's so here. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, and see, here it is, he whom you love is ill. So first of all, what? Hey, send word to Jesus. It's not just anybody that's sick. This is, this, is like you, this is like one of your best friends. Lazarus is ill. The one, you know, Lazarus, the one you love, the one you like to hang out with, the one you, that is special to you. One of your dear friends is ill. And this is the, one of the big things this, this uh, documentation answers for us. But when Jesus heard it, he said, don't miss this. This is big. This is our first biggie today. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's, that, don't, don't, don't just move past that. Remember what I say anytime those of you that may be a little further along in your sanctification, we get to these historical events and you go, I've heard all the messages on Lazarus being raised from the dead. Don't do that. I mean, because every time I study the Bible, God reveals something that I wasn't ready to receive the last time I read it. Okay? So this is important because this is another one of those moments in the Bible when the, the question is answered on why bad things happen. I, frankly, I'm... I'm put out with this question. I don't know how many more times I can have somebody say to me, why do bad things happen to good people? Because I'm yet to find these good people. <laughs> but where's all these good people I keep hearing about? I mean, I, m most of the people that I know, including myself, we aren't good at all. You know, we're prideful, we're self-serving, we're self-involved, uh, we're petty, uh, and I could go on and on and on. But I, when people say that, first of all, where are all these good people? Well, Jesus says, I can tell you right now, in this case, listen to what Jesus said. This illness, which he already knew about, this illness will not lead to death. And why? He said, let me tell you why Lazarus is sick. You ready? It may be why you're sick. It may be why somebody you love is sick. This has been allowed to happen for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Hey, and that's why. Please, please, please. I'm begging you, as my brothers in Christ and sisters who may be watching and listening, speaking, and you've been there, from somebody who's been there and has just walked away from looking at the lifeless body of a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy, and you look to your brothers, sisters, sisters in Christ, and you're, and you're knowing but who God is, and, and you're sitting in these situations, and here they come to you. You're at the receiving line. You've got a little baby blue casket behind you, and here they come, and, and you're listening out in anticipation for comfort, and they go, well, you know, sometimes we just don't know why. Can I tell you that falls a little flat? You know what that tells me? You're too lazy to have gone and got me an answer. Because the Bible is full of things you should have told me. Full of promises you should have reminded me for. This would have been one. I would have appreciated this one. Rick, don't forget, this, is, this has been allowed to happen to glorify God. That would have been a good one to hear. Hey, this, hey, this is the test the genius of your faith. Right now, you and your family have a platform you didn't have before, and God's going to give you the power in this. Everybody's looking at you. Don't embarrass Jesus. Stand up and let them see that your faith is real. That's why this has been allowed to happen. How do you know that? Because that's what the Bible says. 
Let's come off the sometimes we don't know why. If that's all you got, just don't come. Okay, let, let, let's get down and say and remind each other of what Jesus has already said. And one thing he said is what? This has been allowed to happen because I'm going to be glorified. And that's, that's, that's what happens in our life every time something is allowed to happen that we must now uh, stand up and persevere through the power of Jesus and point people to why we don't respond the way everybody else responds. Now, again, the Bible drives home his rela- the, the relationship with Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So here we go again. So is Jesus allowing Lazarus to be sick because he doesn't love him? Oh, here we go again. How many times when you're going through something, do you hear somebody say, or somebody goes, I thought God loved me? Well, I think we can look to the cross, and God's already on record for how much he loves us. Amen. Right? Because he didn't have to do that. You know what I deserved? It was not redemption. It was hell. And God said, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to come to you when you can't come to me. I'll pay the debt that you actually owe. So you know what? I think God is on record for how much he loves us. So may we never utter the blasphemous phrase, I thought God loved us. Now, if you want to say, God, show me what you're trying to teach me, amen. Amen. Show show me what you're doing, Lord. But don't you ever question his love for you because then you've got to ignore the cross. If, If God never does another thing for me, what he did on the cross was more than I ever deserved. Amen. He don't have to do another thing. That's good. You know what, though? He's been so gracious. He's actually done blessed me in other ways. He didn't have to, but he has. So I'm not going to turn around. You know, think about how you would feel if you were taking care of your children. You ever had that feeling? You ever had the, ever had the ungrateful child? And all you've done is sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And what did they say? Well, why didn't you do this? And they ignore everything you've already done for them. How's that feel? Well, let's not do that to our father. So, so he says that he does love them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You, some of you probably heard this unpacked before. That's an interesting response. I mean, can you imagine somebody coming up to you and think about some of your dearest friends and says, hey, one of your dear friends is really, really sick, and they need you. Appreciate the information. Guys, let's knock it out of gear. Let's give it 48 hours, and we'll go. Would that be a natural response? But remember, now don't miss this because this is important. We'll get a little deep here, but I love this. We'll get a little meat here. Jesus has already told people once that a little girl was just sleeping and everybody made fun of him and she got up and she was alive. Get her something to eat. Remember that? He's already said, he's already talked to a centurion that said, you don't even have to go to my house. All you got to do is speak it. And I know this, the one I love will be healed. Right? So this has already happened. But see, this time, Jesus is saying, I'm going to double down, and I'm going to ask you to believe the completely unbelievable. So, and we'll get to the significance of that as we go on. So you have to remember, there's a reason for everything Jesus is doing. Then after he said this to the disciples, after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Whoa! What did you say? Let's go to Judea. Oh, no. And you'll see there say, Lord, let's not do that now. And listen to what the disciples said to him. Rabbi, the Jews were, were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? What are you talking about going to Judea? When we go to Judea, it's going to be really, really bad. We barely got out of there alive. So let's don't go back to Judea. But listen to this, and we don't need to forget this every time we've been asked to go back to Judea. Somebody say amen. Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, now you say, well, Rick, what in the world is he talking about right here? I'll tell you what he's talking about. Don't forget who you're with. Hey, I'm under the authority of my Father. We are walking openly in the light. And those of us that walk in the light... And those of you that walk with me, we don't just stumble around making this up as we go. It goes back to the remember the storm. You know what they should have known and what we should have known? Jesus said before they ever left, we're going to the other side. That's why he's sleeping during the storm. Why are you sleeping? I'll tell you why I'm sleeping, because I can tell the weather what to do, and I said we're going to the other side, and you're with the great I am. We're going to the other side. You're going back to Judea with me. 
And I'm doing this so that I will be glorified and my father will be glorified. Do you think that anything is going to stop me from doing what I said I'm going to do? Don't forget who you're with. We walk in the light and we know exactly where we're going. We don't stumble around in the dark with people who have no direction and, and live in chaos and have no idea what's coming next. We don't live that way. You're with me. And so, again, as we do, this doesn't really register with them. And there's a funny statement coming up here in just a minute, which you'll love. So at 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Instead of celebrating that or going, this is going to be incredible, you know what they said? Whoo, so we're not going to go. Whoo, I thought we was going for a minute. Because this is what they say next. Listen, they say, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. Ain't no need for us to go. Still trying to get out of going. But Jesus, I love this. You ever had Jesus have to say this to you? Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. And I love this next line. Look at 14. Then Jesus told him plainly. Have you ever had to say that? Have you ever just been, God's trying to show you something and you just won't get it? And then finally God says, okay, I'm just going to tell you plainly what I'm trying to tell you because I can't get you to see what I want you to see. So I got to do something that causes clarity for you to go, ooh, I got it. You ever had that moment? I'm not sure what God's telling me here. And then all of a sudden something happens going, oh, well, I, I see exactly what he's like if he's telling you to leave. And you're like, I don't know if he wants me to move or what he wants me to do. And you go back to work the next day and you get fired. Okay, so he wants me to leave. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. okay. I was a little gray on that. Now I know exactly what he's trying to tell me. So he, so he tells him plainly. And I just, I just love thinking of this moment, that, that 100% man side of Jesus. Hey, Lazarus is dead. I got to speak plainly if y'all don't get this. And look at this. And for your sake. I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Lazarus is dead, and you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad this, that, you, that we're in this situation. Because in these situations, you'll see me clearly. You're about to see something that you need to see. More glory of More, him. That's right. How about that? I want you to see who you're really with. And look, doubting Thomas. <laughs> You know, first time I ever read this long ago, I thought Thomas was, I said, man, this is a go-getter. This is a guy that's ready to be a martyr. I don't know why he was such a doubter and got that bad name. Everybody's forgetting this line. No, he's Eeyore. Thomas is actually doubting because what does he say? All right, let's go die with him. <laughs> so, see, Thomas is not saying, I believe he's going to protect us. I believe we're going to see something. He said, we all know we're going to be killed. So I guess let's just all go die with him. You know, I, I used to think that was actually something positive that Thomas was doing. It's not because, he, because he's not saying, Lord, we'll go where you go. Whatever you say is going to happen is going to happen. If you say we're supposed to go, let's go. All he does is do the famous, well, I guess we'll just go die with him. <laughs> so then let's move on. So, so now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Why is that important? You'll see here in a minute, dealing with Martha, and one of the most, and really the most beautiful part of this documentation. So the Jewish rabbis, this is not biblical. This is not biblical. There were a lot of things that are biblical, then there were things that were Jewish tradition. And of course, Jesus, being a devout Jewish person and raised in a devout Jewish family, knows all the teachings. Now, there's, there's biblical teaching, and then there's, we have some of that now in the church. There's biblical teaching and some theology that pastors seem to come up with. Uh, and I use the word pastor loosely. But so, so what they had taught is that in, Levit in Leviticus, it clearly said there's life in the blood. And that's why they didn't embalm anybody. That's why they didn't burn anybody. So if you died and your blood was still fresh, they believed there was life still in that body and that there was a chance that, that God may have a second thought about this and your body would actually come back alive. They look for the flickering of eyes and everything. But if you ever reach the post three, four day period, it's over. So think about that. That tells me, now this is totally my opinion. It's, the Bible doesn't document this, but this seems to, to give you some indication. That means some of these other raising people of the dead because remember, every time his, the people who wanted to kill him saw him do a miracle, they had to explain it away. 
You remember what they remember what they said even about the, in Acts? Well, we can't deny this guy was was crippled. Everybody, everybody, everybody's seen this guy for years. They never said, "Wow, there must be something to this." They're always looking to say, "We got to do something to counter this." So, in my opinion, the reason why he's waiting for Lazarus, and it's just my opinion. Some of these other things that the people said happened, they explained away. So when did he go tell the little girl to get up? Well, she just died. Well, we all know that can happen. Well, no, what about the centurion? How, how long had, had his servant been dead? Uh, I, maybe a few hours. Oh, well. You know, the life was still there. We don't know whether Jesus really did that or not. Now, that's just an opinion, but I know this time it's factual that he's waiting four days for that reason. That's factual. So, so, so it's been. That's why he didn't say we're not going to leave right now. I got to give this more time so nobody thinks that somehow he's still sleeping. So now he'd been dead for four days. Eighteen. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. There's her personalities again. Martha hears that Jesus is finally here, and she's gone. She's going to meet him for it. And then the one who contemplated and was always pensive and sitting at Jesus' feet, she don't leave. You know why? She's just sitting there, taking it all in, mourning. Martha, what? She's a woman of action. I got I to go see what's going on. So she goes out to meet Jesus. Look what's happened here. And this, this is a part that, that, start, that starts breaking your heart because we've all been guilty of this. Martha, look at 21. Martha said to Jesus, and, and I have done it. I wonder if you have done it. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? Where were you? How'd you let this happen? I thought you loved us. If you'd been here, we would, this, all this you see here wouldn't be going on. Have you ever been there? And, and if you were being honest in your spirit, when you're going through something horrible, there's that moment that creeps in that you say, why weren't you here? Where were you? This wouldn't have happened if you'd been paying attention to me. See, because don't forget about the adversary. That's why these, the, this stuff today is important, because it's a defense. Remember what we talked about when we did the, the, the armor? You know, it says that we have certain things, and it says take certain things, two different words. Use and take. Take the sword because it's an offensive weapon. So when Satan comes up to you, because he will, especially those of you that have already made a decision, there's nothing to do about it. And what he, what he wants to do now is what? Take your very theology and the things you know to be true about God and use them against you. We saw in the Garden of Eden. So Satan is not afraid or whatever demon he, he has that may be in your presence to come to you and say, so you're correct. God is in control. That's right. He is sovereign. Amen. So everything is completely under his control. That's right. And he did this to you. Why didn't Jesus just come keep this from happening? I, I thought God loved you. So I agree with you about God. He's everything you say he is. And you know what? He did this to you. If you'd been here, Lord, this wouldn't have happened. So, so Jesus says, but listen, this is, what I, this is where Martha's faith comes in, though. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So she says that statement. Look at Jesus' response to, to, to that part of her faith. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha doesn't understand what he's talking about. Martha, all she's doing is saying, look, I, I know he's going to rise again. Look what she says. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. So she's got the theology. She's not thinking about today. You're right, Lord. I know that you'll raise my brother up. We're all going to be raised at the day of the resurrection. Now, the beautiful thing about Martha is Martha actually proves in this documentation that she understands who Jesus is better than the disciples do at this point. She knows he's Lord. She knows he's Messiah. She knows that he's going, there's going to be a, 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 res, a raising of the dead, that the ultimate resurrection. And she thinks that's what he's talking about. Now, he doesn't correct her. Why? Because what she said is right. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, no, no, no. Because you can't say that because then people go, wait a minute. I thought, we all, uh, whoa, I thought that's what Messiah is supposed to do. So he says, that truth stands. 
But that's not what we're talking about today, though. Jesus said, and here it comes, here it comes. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here comes the question of all time. Do you believe this? I'll, I'll look right here for those who are watching. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will never die. And you know what he says? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? To Martha, do you believe this? That's a big question, isn't it? And, and if, you, if you're real quick to go, yeah, absolutely I do, Rick. Well, then based on what? What, what in your life would I see that doesn't just say, you don't just say you believe that, you truly do? Do you live with that kind of hope? Do you know that Jesus really is who he says he is? Now, here's Martha says she knows everything about him, but Jesus is saying, do you believe this? And then she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. See, we're still going back to true facts, but she doesn't understand what she's about to see yet, and I'll have proof of that here in just a minute. Lord, I believe you are who you say you are. I do. But do you believe that I can do what I'm about to do? Do you believe it? Do you believe that anything, honestly, that when we, like, like I have to say in my own life, you know what hit me the most? When I think about the people in my life, and some of them that you know publicly, that just seem so far gone, do I really believe that he can draw them to him? Do I really believe that they can repent? Do I really believe that that's going to happen? Do I believe he can do it? I do. But in the back of the mind, you know what you start thinking about? All the things that make that unlikely, though. He's been dead four days, Lord. Four days. I mean, come on. You show up maybe the first day. You get here while he's still sick. But he's been dead four days. Now, see, what that means to us, think of all the impossible things you think in your life. Lord, that's impossible. Oh, but he is the Lord of the impossible. Impossible for us is nothing to him. Nothing. I mean, guys, he walked out from the boat and just told the weather what to do. And this is beyond his grasp. Whatever your problem is, whoever you're worried about, whoever I'm worried about, do we really believe that's beyond God's power? Whatever you're thinking about, I'll be honest with you, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I know he's watching. Hey, Bill. When Bill Searcy told me that he would be given the highest level of chemo that a human being could stand without it killing him, that his hair wasn't going to fall out, I thought he was an idiot. I thought, come on, Bill, we don't, we don't need that. Let's just, let's just pray you don't die. I mean, your hair's going to fall out. We all know it. And it hasn't. Now, I don't know why, and, and nobody knows why other than Bill felt like God told him that, and that's what he did as a sign of of. That, that there's supernatural things in play. Now, does that mean that God's any less great if Bill's hair fell out or falls out tomorrow? No. But, but, but because it's not about that, the question is, do we believe it can be done? And then what do we say like Jesus taught us? But your will be done. But I know you can do it. And, and, and that's fine. Use the promises of God. I've said prayers. I, I said a prayer. It was, and it was out there. I mean, I remember, though, oh, uh, David Potier, who came, uh, Portier, that came from Canada, and he stayed at our house, that pastor. You remember him on the Wednesday night service, those at Shades Mountain? He talked about that we don't pray big. He goes, I mean, honestly, your prayer is, Lord, I'm headed home. Get me home safely. He goes, just buckle your seatbelt and pay attention. You know, I mean, give God something bigger than that. And, and, and so I actually said in a prayer uh, two days ago, Lord, I'm praying this, and this sounds impossible, but I know you can do anything. And I feel silly praying this, but I bet this doesn't sound silly to you. You're like, I could do that. I remember I told a kid one time that kind of popped off to me, um, and, and he was a little wormy thing. And, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I said to him, I said, son, I could whip you and eat a sandwich. I could eat a sandwich and whip you, and it never get in the way of my eating of the sandwich. And, and that's the way God looks at these things we think are so big. He's like, what, I can do that? And I mean, that's nothing. 
that's nothing. And, and so, so he, he's, he's about to double down on all this. So he says, when she, this is Martha's done. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, who still hasn't come out, saying to her in private, the teacher's here, he's calling for you. And when she heard it, uh, now, now we've got Mary, she rose quickly and went out to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, because she's going out to Jesus, they followed her. Now they thought she was going to go out to the tomb and weep there. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, What? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now he's got to hear it again. From people he loves. I want you to think about that. Think about, and we've all been there, when you've had to do something to your children that you knew was the best for them, but you could not remove the pain and agony of it. But you knew it was right. But it still hurt for them to say, Daddy, why are you doing this? I thought you loved me. Why, why are you not just making this okay? Because it's, because it's for your benefit. But it still hurts, doesn't it? And then, and, then, and, then, and then again, he has to hear, you could have kept this from happening, and you didn't. And when Jesus, look at 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What's your takeaway on that? He cares. He, he cares. You know, there's been all kinds of people pontificate on why Jesus began to weep with them if he knew he could raise Lazarus from the dead. And I think we've kind of overcomplicated it a little bit. I, really, I mean, I've heard some people say, and it's fun, I even like this thought, I don't think it's accurate, that, that when he began to weep is because, really, if you think about it, Lazarus had already gone into glory. And he knew he was going to have to bring him back. And then Lazarus would just have to die again. Now, certainly that's an interesting thought, but I don't think that's it. Uh, because why does the Bible say? The Bible's not, uh, some people who say these kind of things, they're acting like the Bible didn't kind of give us an indication of what's going on. Here's what he said. He said, when he saw her weeping, this, this is his second friend that's come here saying, if you hadn't been here, we wouldn't all be in this state. Why are, you, why are you doing this to us? When he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I'll tell you why he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He didn't like this either. He sees the pain and agony of all, and he cares about it. He cares about it. How cool is it for the great I am, the beginning and the end, to know every detail of your life and my life to the point that when we weep, he cares. The Bible tells us that he is near to the brokenhearted. That, that, that's, a, that's a promise from the Word of God. I am always near to the brokenhearted, and I do care. I do care. When he's crying over Jerusalem, here he is crying over Jerusalem, and what he's, it's not that he doesn't care. He said the rejection of me is, is going to bring pestilence on, on my people. How, how often I've longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect you from it, but you were not willing. So now what's taking place must take place. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care. That doesn't mean he doesn't break his heart. Because he said, I will be 100% God, but I'll also be 100% man. So that you can never go to Jesus and say, well, you don't understand. You don't know what this is like. Well, he's proven right here that he does. Because right now, that 100% man and 100% God are showing compassion on people, even though it has to be done, and he cares that it is agonizing for them. He cares. Don't, don't ever forget that he does care. And he said, where have you laid him? Who thinks that Jesus doesn't know where the tomb is? Anybody? So I, I talk to the weather. It does what I said, but somebody's got to help me find the tomb. Everything he does, he's doing for a reason. What he is signaling is, let's all go to where this is so y'all don't miss this because it's going to be big. 
because I'm about to ask you to believe the unbelievable. They said to him, Lord, come and see, 35, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. If you go back and look at the, the Greek word here, it, it means this was not a mild watering of the eyes. The, the Greek word actually almost symbolizes almost a, a vomiting of emotion. He exploded into, great, into tears, weeping with these people. Jesus cares. Why did Jesus cry? Because he cares. Because he was, it says he was moved. He was troubled by the state of the world that Lazarus' body is laying in a tomb for four days. And the people said when they saw him cry, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have, he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? See, there it is again. Now he's got to hear it from the crowd. He's heard it from two people who he loves. If you'd been here, this wouldn't happen. Then some people said, oh, look at that. That's pretty moving. Look at him grieving with these people. He really loved Lazarus. And he loved Martha and Mary. And then, of course, you can hear this go, huh? Didn't he heal some blind man? Couldn't he have kept this from happening? Always the scoffers. Always. And Jesus got to hear it again. But only Jesus, who's on his way to the cross now, but only Jesus can listen to the garbage that we shovel out on him and say, forgive them. They don't really understand what they're doing. Their, their feelings are wrong, but I'm not going to hold that against the rest of your life. Are y'all glad Jesus has not held your blasphemy against you? I certainly am. Then why do we hold it against other people? Why do we deny forgiveness to other people that Jesus didn't deny us? I mean, you say, well, Rick, some of these things would be supernatural. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Correct. But Jesus is supernatural. The power that raised him from the dead has justified our spirit, and now his power is sanctifying us. So maybe you couldn't do that last year, but if you have continued to be sanctified and devoted to Jesus, maybe you can do it this year. Maybe today's the day you say, you know what? If Jesus is not turned around to everybody going, I'm going to strike everybody dead here for all your disbelief. All these people are mocking me. They're scoffing me. All these people, they did it on the cross. If he can forgive us for what we've done to him, we certainly can forgive other people what they've done to us. 38, here it comes. Then Jesus, don't miss this part, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now listen, this is interesting. To show you that Martha, she's about to come to the big moment here. She's still locked into, I know you're Messiah. I know the resurrection is coming. I know you're the Son of God. But surely you are not thinking about me rolling away this stone. And let's get people to move this. And she says, look, Martha the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. See, Jesus wants to make sure that everybody's got that. Everybody here in four days? What do y'all all, all know about four days? He's going to stink. And the rabbis taught if the body starts to decompose, it's over. Ain't nothing anybody can do now. Well, yeah, except God. But I love this. And, and think how many times Jesus has said this to us. Jesus said to her in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Mary, I mean, Martha, what did we just talk about a minute ago? What did we just talk about? How many times has the Lord had to say to you and to me, now you remember what I said about this. You remember what I said. And all, the only conclusion I can come to is that when he said this to Martha, she relinquished, because what does 41 say? So they took away the stone. So she was saying, no, 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 let's don't move the stone. I mean, the body's decomposing. We're going to have an older Lord. Come on now. And then he says, Martha, do you remember what I said? If you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. And the next verse says, take away the stone. So I think Martha finally says, I'm in. 
I mean, don't you love the fact that God will, if we don't get it the first time, he'll keep on teaching. And nobody teaches like the Lord. Nobody teaches like the Lord. And so here comes the big moment. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, man, this is beautiful right now, the Trinity. Here is the Son talking to his Father. And I love that Jesus clarifies, I don't have to do this the way I'm doing it. But I'll explain to you why I'm doing it this way. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. Do you love that? I care enough. What I'm doing right now between you and me, Father, isn't even necessary. I know you're with me always. I know you always hear me. But I'm going to pray out loud for the benefit of who? Us. I want everybody to hear this so they know what you're about to do. I love something about that I just love. Him, him acknowledging even out loud. Now, Father, I know we don't have to do this, but I said this out loud on account of the people standing by and that they may believe that you sent me. So why is he doing it? So we'll believe. Why did he do these miracles? So that he would prove who he was. Here comes number seven. This is a big one. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you were a doubter up to this day, and what these people saw after a man had been dead four days, that had to be a game changer. So much so that we know that the Pharisees and those that were against Jesus, that really Lazarus became a marked man at this point. Because you know what they needed him to do? We don't need Lazarus walking around. This is not good. So when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Does anybody think that Jesus needs to cry in a loud voice for Lazarus to walk out? No. Why is he doing that so everybody can hear it? That's why he does the things he does so we can hear it. Lazarus, come out. If you look at this original Greek, it really says that it, he's really just saying, Lazarus, out here. That, that's really the literal translation. Lazarus, out here. I mean, get from in there, out here. And, of course, we've always heard some of the, again, commentary, but no proof that he also specified who he wanted to come out so everybody didn't start walking out from everywhere. <laughs> The man who had died came out. Now, picture being there. I want you to picture that. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now, you do know what that means. He's coming out almost hopping because his feet and hands are tied together. He's not walking out like a strut. He's, he's trying to, to come out. And I love this because, boy, everything in here preaches. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That, you know, that's much deeper than the literal, go get that stuff off of him. What Jesus is saying to us right now, and if you've come under the authority of Jesus Christ, it has happened. We are bound by sin. And it will take us to death where we will rot and die forever. And Jesus says, when I call your name and I tell you to come out from sin, and under my authority, unbind him and let him go. Anybody want to say thanks about that? Unbind this man, unbind this woman from the power of sin, and I say, let them go. Set them free. And see, this is also the vision of what, nothing wrong with saying the word saved. I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church, and my, my grandmother was a devout Southern Baptist, so we talk about when you're going to get saved, but... If you really think about it, we go from what? Dead to alive. Mm -hmm. Dead to alive. So certainly saved counts because what? We're being saved from something. What are we being saved from? Death. But what, what Jesus really does is says, you're bound to sin, and the sin that binds you is going to lead to death. And so I have come to call to you as I have called to Lazarus, come out from death, Come out from sin, come under my authority, repent of your sins, and I say death no more. Oh, death, where is your sting? Unbind this person, and in the name of Jesus, set them free. Amen. Amen. Set them free. Somebody say amen if you're glad you're free. Amen. And, and, and then we have to think to ourselves, what is, what, what is our response to this? What, 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 is, our, what is our response to this? Because now, after Jesus shows ultimately who he is, I mean, the trouble begins now. 
See, see, when 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 the disciples were concerned about what was going to happen, it was a legitimate concern. But Jesus said, "They will not get me until I allow them to get me." Right? I mean, what if they said, "We got to stop Jesus from raising Lazarus from the dead"? Then nothing they can do about it. Even he tells Pilate, which we'll talk about more next week. <laughs> authority over me. I mean, I'm in charge of this whole thing. I'm the one who lays down my body, and I'm the one who will raise it up again. You don't have any authority over me. So as we leave today, and we think about all the things that Jesus is teaching in this incredible documentation, and, you know, I, there, there's funny things about that. I, I Just, in, in, and I'll wrap up with this. I always think about what was, you know, we know that Lazarus went in and he started eating because every time somebody would eat, then it proved they really were alive. You saw Jesus do this many times, even himself, when he came back to the disciples, give me something to eat. What was the rest of his life like? I mean, and there were people, and I didn't know this, people have written plays, and I wouldn't condone them because I don't know the theology of them. I think even David Bowie did one at one time, and I certainly wouldn't recommend that. But, but, there was one, I can't remember the guy's name, and he depicted Lazarus. He picked it up after he'd been raised from the dead, and he depicted him as always laughing. And, of course, because what are you going to do to Lazarus now? How are we going to kill you? Been there. You know, so that, that he probably lived a life of incredible freedom. I don't know, but at the end of this, and it, it's nothing but it's fiction. It's an assumption because we do. There are some documentation from the the people who were keeping up with the historical things that were going on. That Lazarus was was martyred. Some people think he was martyred. Eventually, they really did get him and kill him at some point. Now, I don't know if that's factual or not. That is a a theory, but that in this play, it showed them burning Lazarus at the stake, and he's laughing the whole time. <laughs> I belong to Jesus. He's already taken me out of death once, and ultimately he's taken me out of death forever. Light the fire. You know, what? when Paul said what? I, I tell you when I finally was free, when I learned that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death has no power over us because we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. He's been given the keys to heaven and earth. And I, and I want you to think about this because this, when we, we talked about when we get to Pentecost, we go on offense. I think it's one thing that the church has got to understand. We keep acting like we're on defense. We're on offense. When Jesus is talking and Peter, you know, finally gets him right and he says, well, that's been revealed to you by my father. You didn't come with that on your own. But on this truth, I'm going to build my church that I am Messiah. I am the son of God. I have come to redeem the world. And on this, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not persevere against it. The gates of hell. Well, what is a gate? That's defense. Hell's got a gate. And Jesus says, I'm going to knock down the gate and deliver people from hell. We're on offense. The gates of hell. I used to think that like, like those gates are there and Jesus is protecting us from the gates. No, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. We'll knock them down. So we need to get that attitude. To me, we've got this attitude that we're always playing defense. What is somebody going to say about us? Oh, we're, we're, somebody's going to say we're mean. Somebody's going to say we're judgmental. I mean, we're carrying the most important news in the history of the world. And we serve a Lord and Savior that has defeated death. And we walk around playing defense all the time. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Let's not be like Thomas. Well, let's go die with him. If we have to, great, but let's have attitude. No, let's live for him. Let's live for him. This, this part, we're still breathing. Certainly we're looking for glory, and we're looking for eternal life. But don't waste the opportunity to advance his kingdom in this life. You know, I, I don't think you can really truly be redeemed and it not matter to you. Oh, got that done. At least I'm not going to hell. Now back to my life just like it was. I mean... I don't think these people were ever the same. Amen. Can you imagine going to lunch the next week? By the way, you missed it over at Mary and Martha's. Hey, you missed it. Hey, you missed it. And, and they say, I heard about Lazarus. No, you haven't. 
No, not. Are they okay? What do you mean they're okay? He's alive. No, I, I don't think you're right about that. They said he'd been dead like four days. No, no, no. He's been dead two weeks, but I'm telling you, he's alive. Because he, he, he's been dead four days, right, but it didn't continue. He, I just saw him walk out of the tomb. tomb. When? I'm telling you, I just came from there. Do you think these people are ever the same? Don't, well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like that Jesus has called you out of death? Do you feel different? I do. Some of you, I mean, do y'all feel different? I, I mean, because if you haven't felt different, then you're still dead in the tomb. You're still dead. So maybe today, for the first time or the first time you ever meant it, you're going to answer the call to Jesus saying your name, come out. Come out of death and come to life. And let me unbind you and set you free, let you go. And then you live a life that's free. Free from the condemnation that sin requires. Is he calling your name today? Come out. Come out from death. If he is, we're going into a time of prayer, and I ask you to pray this with me. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, anybody today that's hearing this for the first time, and, and you've been drawing them to you, and maybe today's the day that you say, Lord, I hear you calling my name. And Lord, I repent of my sins, and I'm coming to you. I feel you drawing me to you, and I submit to your authority. I submit to your lordship, and I say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I am wretched, and I deserve death, but I'm so thankful that you've been so gracious that you have taken the penalty of death for me. You've defeated my sin, and you defeated the penalty for my sin, and that is death by walking out of that tomb. As we draw, draw ever closer to the celebration of this incredible event that separates Christianity from all other religious thought, the resurrection. I, today, Lord, I, I submit to the authority of the resurrection, and I repent of my sins, and I ask you to save me. Lord, I pray for these men that are here today. Today, I don't know what's going on in their individual lives. I pray that you go with us as we step out, that we'll go out living under the authority of you, Jesus, and transforming every sphere of influence where you place us. We're thankful, Lord, that you care about us, that you weep with us, but ultimately because you defeated our greatest problem, and that is death. And we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you're watching this or listening to this, and, and maybe today you said, hey, I got some questions. Uh, Rick at rickandbubba.com. You can reach out to me. I'm happy to help you and happy to walk with you. Guys, I'll see you all next Wednesday. Thanks for being with us.